Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, so happy to start the day with you in the 7 a.m. hour. Let's get started in prayer this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We love being with you in the morning. In fact, I was really excited coming in today because we've got some great stuff in store on the show today, including that we are going on the road to Kenrick Lennon Seminary to the Office of Vocations, where we're going to sit down with Father Connor Sullivan. Actually, I sat down with him yesterday, but, uh, you know, we went on the road yesterday and uh, time travel not being possible. We're just going to play the recording of yesterday's interview for you today. But I'm really excited about sharing that with you. We're going to be talking about the nuclear family this morning. That's all ahead on the show. But I just want to share some just joyful uh, thoughts with you this morning. Yesterday, I completely forgot about this in the morning until I started looking at my calendar. What do I have on schedule today? I had to go to the dentist to get a filling. And, uh, you know, I know how much we all love going to the dentist, right? It was Fantastic, because, I mean, I was like, all right, let's go in there and let's, any discomfort, any pain, any anything, let's just offer it up, right? Now, normally my dentist, he's very, he knows that I don't do well in his chair, and he's like, I'm already ready with extra numbing, whatever he uses. Uh, you just tell me if you're feeling anything, you let me know. I'll numb you up even more. And towards the end, it was starting to wear off, and normally I'd be like, Doc, Hit me up here. I, I'm feeling it. Let's go. And yesterday, just because of all the things we do together, you and I on this show, talking about offering up our suffering and not wasting our suffering, knowing how much that means to us, I said, you know what? I can feel it, but let's just keep going, Doc. He's like, are you sure? You you normally want me to, to stick you with the needle again. I said, no, Doc, let's just keep going. And... uh I couldn't have done it without your inspiration, so thank you for that. Let's go to Mike Roberts for our Saint of the Day. Born in the hill country of Judea six months before his cousin Jesus, the birth of the man we now call John the Baptist was highly anticipated by Zachariah, Elizabeth, and the community around them, and he did not disappoint. When exactly he went out into the desert to prepare the arrival of Jesus, we don't know, but by the time Jesus begins his ministry, John is widely seen as an important prophet proclaiming the coming of the Messiah. And like Jesus, the truth John proclaims is hard for those in power to listen to, and especially those who abuse that power to their own end. Herod not only knew John the Baptist, but enjoyed hearing him speak. Clearly, the Holy Spirit was reaching Herod's heart, but Herod was not in the habit of denying himself what he wanted. And when his brother's wife Herodias caught his eye, he simply took her for his own. John, on the other hand, was very much in the habit of calling out those who misused their state in life, and he did so with Herod and Herodias, which angered and insulted Herodias, who insisted he be arrested. Herod obliged, John was put in prison, and the beginning of the end of his life was set in motion. 
Before Herodias calls for John's head on a platter, before Salome does her dance, before Herod promises her anything she wants, Herod had been moved by the Holy Spirit working in John. Yet, when the time to decide arrives, whose voice is he really listening to? It is Herodias who talks, but the voice going into Herod's ear is not from God, and there can only be one other source. Today, as we remember John the Baptist, let us be mindful that the Holy Spirit, the love between the Father and the Son, the source of life in Mary's womb, which becomes the incarnate word, is also the source of the one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. It is the Holy Spirit calling to all of us, let us not just hear but follow. St. John the Baptist, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Well, we are happy to be on the road today with the show, uh, visiting at Kenrick Lennon Seminary, actually in the Office of Vocations here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis with Father Connor Sullivan, who is on the faculty here at the seminary and does some wonderful work in the Archdiocese. Uh, Father, you are not just a priest, but you're also a psychologist now. Yes, yeah, I'm uh, certainly uh, provisionally licensed at this point, still working on full licensure, but yeah, I'm a clinical psychologist, yeah, provisionally licensed. Oh, good. This this is good because, now I want to paint a visual for our listeners. I walk in here with this Pelican case, and if you've ever seen one of those movies where they have the president and they're like, bring the nuclear codes, you know, this is exactly (laughs) the same kind of case. And here we're, we're here to talk about the nuclear Yes, huh? family. Yeah, yeah. But so we we don't need the nuclear codes. But I'm I was laughing at the uh, yeah yeah the irony there yeah, yeah a it, little bit it fits. it fits and and that's where your degree in psychology and your training in theology really yeah benefit us in this conversation. So oh. nuclear family is not a new term. It's a term that's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of us are saying, oh, I remember that from college. Let's refresh. What is a nuclear family? To my understanding, the nuclear family. When we talk about the nuclear family, what we're talking about is a mother and a father, a husband and a wife, who are um, who are raising children. So it's that immediate family, um, uh, in in the life uh, kind of that it takes on, kind of in that immediacy. Yeah, that's an important definition because we live in an era where we have lots of different definitions right. of family. You know, we right. have single parent households. We have children that live with their grandparents and not with their parents. Indeed, uh, we Indeed. have foster homes. There are many things. Yes. I want to start with the spouses. Sure. And, and, yeah, and this yeah. is that question. How does it benefit parents to be spouses? Especially, again, going back to the culture that says, oh, you yeah. know, you don't need to be married. You don't, you, th- that doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, I think one of the things that I like to talk a lot about in marriage preparation when we're talking about, you know, getting, getting ready uh, with couples who are preparing for marriage. Um, one of the things I like to talk about with them is how their love as husband and wife actually becomes the kind of the refuge or the the place in which their children kind of feel safe. And so um, it, it sounds counterintuitive in a lot of our you know, one of the things in a marriage preparation course is that they always take an inventory in the Catholic Church, right? So in the Catholic Church, if you want to get married, you have to take an, a marital inventory that kind of compares and contrasts different opinions about things. And one of the questions that comes up in every marital inventory is, uh, you know, true or false, um, our children should come first. And that's a trick question. I, it always gets them because 
uh, it's at, the answer is actually false. The love between the husband and the wife actually has to come first. And that sounds really counterintuitive, especially to those really good mothers out there who are like, wait a minute, what's that about? But in reality, if you put your love first as a husband and wife and you cherish one another well, you're going to naturally be inclined to love your children as well. And that love becomes a safe refuge for them. Um, it becomes a shelter for them. And so it's oriented towards children, but it's also, uh, it also has a life of its own. So it's good when our kids come up to us and, and, and see mom and dad sneak a kiss or sneak a hug or, or go out on date night yes. or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think it's not only is it good, uh, kids seeing affectionate love between their parents is hugely important for development. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let, let's talk about the kids for a moment here, because this mm. is another question we talk about. And I've heard it probably for the last 20 years since I've been paying attention to this term, nuclear family, mm-hmm. uh, that children yeah. greatly benefit from being in that traditional definition of family, where mom and dad are married, right. they have kids, and everyone lives in the same household together. Uh, let's go a little deeper into that. What, why do children benefit, and how do they yeah. benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think this is where so this is where my faith complements my education in psychology and vice versa, you know. So both the worlds of psychology and faith have, you know, there's a lot of psychology that has different theoretical ideas of this, but my faith informs me and helps me to be I think a better psychologist in this regard. But in terms of the living together and staying together as a family unit, um I think the the really the first thing that comes to mind is the unique gifts that mothers and fathers bring um, to their children and to the life of the family. That for um, fathers, they bring a, a, a certain giftedness that mothers don't, and mothers bring a certain giftedness that fathers don't. And I appreciate your earlier comment, too, about making sure that we're including in the conversation, those whose nuclear families have been changed or altered in some way. I grew up, actually, my father passed away when I was very young. And uh, one of the beautiful things that I learned out of some of the suffering that our family experienced in that was what spiritual fatherhood looked like. That while my father wasn't uh, in a large portion of my, uh, my upbringing, um, there were many fathers, and I needed that masculine presence um, in my life growing up. And similarly, I needed my mother's feminine presence. And so both of their presences bring something to the picture um, uniquely, and they, they complement one another. And if you have one that's missing, uh, you know, we run the risk of missing out on something really important or essential to our upbringing. I like to joke in our household that my, my wife and I mirror the image of love, God's love to our children. Yeah, She's yeah. The, the image of his mercy, and I'm the image yeah. of his justice yeah. or, or wrath if we're going Old Testament that day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that's part of what you're talking about is that yes. mothers and fathers or, or spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers mm-hmm. have different charisms that they bring to the table. Yeah, I think this, is, this hasn't been necessarily, this is more theoretical, and it comes from a, a source that is somewhat controversial. I give him uh, a qualified approval, you know, so uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, so a lot of people love to listen to him. I think there are some really important things about his kind of approach that are, are missing and that our faith brings that he may not have all the time. But he says some really cool things. And I think one of the things that he says is that mothers are really good at loving their children for who they are. And fathers are really good at loving their children for who they are capable of becoming. And uh, And you see kind of Mothers, kind of wives, challenging husbands to accept their children where they are. 
and husbands challenging wives to um, help their children to grow and develop and to, um, and to move from where they are to where they want to be. And so you can see if you have one or other, and by the way, it's really important to note, like mothers and fathers do both, right? But one is easier typically for one or the other. And so if you have somebody who just says, oh, you're good where you are without ever challenging you to grow, well, then, then you get entitlement, then you get grandiosity, you get narcissism. But on the flip side, if you have someone saying you're not good enough yet and you need to work and you never hear the message, you are lovable the way you are, well, then you get anxiety, then you get fear, then you get um, a lot of distress because you're never good enough. So you need the love of both a mother and a father, a masculine love that drives you into that next stage of development and a feminine love that reminds you of the goodness of who you are right now. And so the complementarity between the love of a husband and a wife, a mother and a father is really, really beautiful when you start to peel back the layers. I think you, you just hinted at something that was... A perfect setup for this next question. Uh, you, you were talking about being told you're loved without being called to something greater. You get into narcissism and grandiosity or, mm -hmm. or the opposite extreme of that being called to something greater and told you're better than this, you're better than this, or you could be better than this mm -hmm. without being told, but I also love you where you're at right now, leading to anxiety and, and whatnot. Right. How is, you know, we've heard it said that the nuclear family is a building block mm. of society. Mm-hmm. And I think you just started to answer that. But why, why do we say that? Why do we call the family of the building block of society? And that is where we're going to stop before we go to a break here. We're going to have more of our conversation on the road with Father Sullivan after this. In the meantime, here's Rhett Walker with Family is Family. Are you enjoying this episode of Roadmap to Heaven? Are you saying to yourself, I wish I could listen to this again? Well, good news, you can. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Roadmap to Heaven by Covenant Network to find this episode and more. And for even more great Catholic content, be sure to visit www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's OURcatholicradio.org and click on the Programs tab for some great shows. And now back to Roadmap to Heaven. If you're just joining us, we are going to an interview we conducted on the road yesterday with Father Connor Sullivan about the nuclear family. It's one of those days I'm really grateful for the podcast because if you missed part one, you're going to want to go back and hear that. In the meantime, let's pick up our conversation right where we left off, asking about the nuclear family as a building block of society. You know, we've heard it said that the nuclear family is a building block mm. of society. Mm-hmm. And I think you just started to answer that. But why, why do we say that? Why do we call the family of the building block of society? It's a great question. And you could talk for ages on it, I think. But, uh, you know, just to kind of summarize, I think society is, has a vested interest. Our, our society, our nation, our state, uh, our local communities have vested interests in their citizens being really good right? Uh, if you want to have a really good country, if you want to have a really good community, um, you have to have really good people. And the family, the nuclear family, the home is where virtue is first learned. 
Um, and not just not just faith based virtues, right? But also natural virtues, courage, right? Uh, prudence, uh, temperance, patience—all of these things that we need to learn. Um, and that, that there's really only one, one way to really learn them, which is uh, through the school of hard knocks, right? Like that you, we learn to love um, when we're being stretched, you know. And and so so you know the the family in the home, the nuclear family, can be a place of of immense tension as well as immense love and support and acceptance. Uh, it, it's both. And, and that tension is what helps us to grow, I think, in a virtue that helps us to grow into good, healthy, contributing citizens. That, so everything we learn starts in the home. And so if society wants to bring up good citizens, it behooves society to support policies that promote that virtue that's instilled and inculcated in the home. Our kids, being kids, sometimes, you know, they come home from school and all of a sudden everything is just harder. It, it, mm. it, you know, they're not paying attention. Maybe they're a little bit more emotionally uh, quick-tempered or uh, quick to cry for, yeah. for the little ones and whatnot. But then we ask their teachers sometimes, are they like this at school? And the teacher says, oh, no, they're the model of, of, of great behavior mm. at school. It, and someone said to me, you know why they do that at home is because at home they feel safe yeah. to let their guard down. And and I imagine, you know, if we want our kids to go out and survive the pressures of this world, this goes back to the very first thing you said the love of mother and father mm-hmm. and, and the, the starting point of the family becomes that shelter, that refuge in the storm of life to say, okay, yeah, you can go out and do this every yeah. day, mm-hmm. but then you're going to have a place to come back to where it's just okay to let go and say, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is difficult, but I'm going to keep going at it. Absolutely. One of the, one of the things that I work with a lot is um, OCD scrupulosity, people who suffer from, from obsessive compulsive disorder in terms of their relationship with God. And a lot of that flows from an anxiety that they can't ever do anything right. Um, but in order to learn any new thing, we have to know how to fail. Even in the, in the pursuit of virtue, even in the pursuit of love, we have to know that we're going to fail and fall along the way and to have a refuge where it's possible to try uh, and do it wrong first instead of worrying that you're going to do it wrong and never trying. And so I think there's a lot of stunted love out there, actually, because, because there are a lot of people who are afraid of failure, when in reality, I think one of the best things about a family is what you just said, is like when a kid comes home and can let his or her guard down and say, this is really hard, you know, and I really don't like this, and I don't know how to do it right, and I feel like I'm always failing or whatever, and you can work through it, but you can't work through it unless it comes up to the surface, and it can't come up to the surface until, you know, you, you invite that. Yeah, I always love hearing uh, not just in mom and dad saying things like it's going to be okay or here's how we're going to do this, here's how we're going to get through this, but then the siblings doing yeah. that too, especially as we, we've just started school and the older siblings have had the teachers that the younger siblings are having. and like, I didn't know you do this in this grade. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, but it's okay because the teacher's going to do that and it's going to be great and that wisdom gets passed down, but also that, that camaraderie and that support network that they become for one another to say, oh, you know what? I can help you with that math, or I can help you with when you feel this way, yeah. or I can help you with all of these things. Yeah, that's it's a really beautiful thing. I grew up with five siblings, so I'm one of six. And um, my mom raised me. The fathers who stepped in for my dad when he passed away raised me. But my siblings also raised me. And that's, I think, something that some, some people who have a number of children get a little nervous about. It's like, oh, I have to raise all these children. It's actually, you know, there's a, an internal life of the nuclear family that starts to... Uh, 
double back on itself, right? And multiply, it's exponential. Um, and, and that's a really beautiful thing about what you're just saying there is that what your children are doing is seeing how you have guided them and they want to do the same. And so they're internalizing the beginnings of the love of a mother and a father at a very early age, right? Which is that love that supports and nourishes and nurtures and guides, which is they're already starting to display that, which is really cool. One last question I, I just thought of here mm-hmm. is to talk about the broken families. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's something that yeah. we have many broken families in society and even within the church. And it goes back to something you said earlier that, number one, God loves you right yeah. where you're at, in the mm-hmm. parental love of God the Father, but also that we are you know, called to more. Yes. Um, and, and that's a very delicate message sometimes. But what would you say to someone listening right now who says, well, you know, our home is a broken home. And so... Are you saying I, I don't have a shot at this? What do I do? Such a good question. And I think, too, to remember as well, like even in, in the families that don't ostensibly look broken, there's brokenness there, too. Uh, there's, a, there's a book by John Eldridge called Fathered by God. The subtitle, I think, is learning uh, lessons that, that your father could never teach you. Um, and the reason for that is that we're all fallen. So there's brokenness in every family. And then there's some, there are some families that are um, ostensibly, you know, op- you know, out in the open, that brokenness it, it makes itself known. Uh, and in those cases, too, it's really important to remember the, the rule is the same across the board, that part of life uh, is, is going to be figuring out how the Lord wants to go back uh, with you to your upbringing and say, okay, so what was really good about that and what was I missing? And to recognize that the Lord can give and can heal and can provide along the way. And it's important to recognize too, to be patient uh, and, and gentle with yourself along the way. Um, but if it's anything, I want the, the families who, who experience kind of that open brokenness where, you know, maybe a parent is missing like my father was when he passed away, or maybe there's divorce, or maybe there's a, a different kind of brokenness in the family. I think if there's one, one thing that I want to instill or, or say to that is that there's nothing that's uh, written off for you. Absolutely. Right. That the Lord can heal and provide in the midst of that. And part of the beauty of life is seeing how he does that and how he can bring life out of, out of really remarkably dark and difficult situations. Um, so I want to recognize the darkness and difficulty of that and empathize with that, but also to say there is real, real hope. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been a wonderful opportunity to get back to some of the basics of why we, as Catholics, emphasize the importance of family. Uh, Before we wrap up, could I ask you to offer a prayer for families? I would love that. I would love that. I'll begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we glory and we thank you uh, for the gift of being able to call you Father and for adopting us as your sons and daughters. We thank you for the gift of family love, for the mystery of the love between husband and wife, and their love for the children who are the fruit of their love, and your love for them. We ask that you would bless all families uh, with an abundance of awareness of your great love for them, and your support, and your guidance, and your presence with them. In a particular way, we remember those who are in any family that experiences any kind of brokenness, uh, and we ask that you bring your healing grace to them and know of, uh, that they also might know the, the love and support of, of loving Christians in their lives as well. And we ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Connor Sullivan, once again, thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. It's been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. 
This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are addressing a rather serious topic, and it's the question of evil and asking God, why don't you stop this? So, Patty, what will we discuss today? Well, yesterday I shared my own reaction to seeing the evil portrayed in the movie Sound of Freedom. It's a great, great movie, but I was not prepared for my response to being aware of this evil in the world. And I encouraged you yesterday to seek answers. So I had to also seek answers. And I went to a book that sits on my shelf, and it's by Father Benedict Rochelle called The Tears of God. And I went there to find some answers about the mystery of evil. And I wanted to share with you what Father Benedict Rochelle wrote in this book, The Tears of God. Maybe this will be helpful for you. He writes, unfortunately, in Western civilization, it has become commonplace for people to insulate themselves from evil, not to look beyond the headlines. Evil is a mystery, and we must recognize it as mysterious. Presently, many people have difficulty dealing with the concept of the mysterious. They believe, especially if they are religious people, that everything should be understandable and reasonable. And that's just it. Evil is not understandable and not reasonable. Life itself is mysterious, and those who fail to come to grips with the mystery, with this mystery, either are very naive or very angry or end up being both. That's the end of the quote. And I realized in that quote, that's me. I couldn't come to grips with the evil I was looking at because I was so naive. Wanting only to think of the goodness in humanity, always trying to see the positive in people, and I'm so insulated. So then when I was faced with this evil of sex trafficking on a movie screen, I became angry. And Father Grishel also states, it seems to me that Christians concentrating on the infinite power and goodness of God often miss the fact that human life is a great battle. As St. Thomas calls it, a strange duel between good and evil. But no man is an island. We grow when we experience evil by becoming more sympathetic and concerned about other people. The only alternative is to turn inwardly into our own imaginary sanctuary and there to live in isolated and narcissistic self-indulgence. Whoa. That I had to really stare at, too, and I had to realize, okay, sometimes God allows us to see or experience evil so as to wake us up to the suffering in the world, to move us to compassion, and to invite us to action. It's easier to remain insulated, a lot easier. It's easier not to know. It's easier not to know about abortion, sex trafficking, the plight of the poor. And I needed this jolt. I needed to see the evil of sex trafficking, for example, and become aware. So what about you? Where is God inviting you to wake up? Don't be afraid to look deeper and become aware and then be moved to compassion and to action. Patty, I want to thank you for this encouragement today because sometimes We all face that temptation to just turn our heads and look away and embrace that naivety. Thank you for challenging us to go deeper into this question with our Lord. We're going to close today with a reminder that we've got First Friday and First Saturday coming up at the end of this week. It's a very simple thing. We said it on the show yesterday. We'll say it again today. Friday, we are asked by our Lord in his apparition to St. Margaret Mary Alico to pray in reparation for sins against the Sacred Heart, to go to Mass, to receive Holy Communion. 
What a great opportunity it is for us to spend some time with our Lord in Eucharistic adoration, you know, either before Mass or after Mass, to spend some time in prayer. It's a great thing to pray together with family, perhaps around the dinner table on Friday evening. There's some wonderful prayers out there. If you don't know any, contact me. I'll, I'll get you some. We can send you some by email as well. But if, if you just go and search for prayers to the Sacred Heart, you'll find a whole host of them. On Saturday, we are called to pray the rosary, meditate for 15 minutes upon the rosary, go to Holy Mass, and make a good confession. That might mean some planning out. Perhaps your parish doesn't have confessions on Saturday morning, but they do on Fridays. You could go on Friday, go relative to that. Perhaps your parish has confessions on Saturday afternoon. The important thing is to be in a state of grace when you receive Holy Communion, lest you commit the sin of sacrilege. And do your best to make these devotions. The first Saturday devotion, again, we're called to make five consecutive first Saturdays. First Friday devotion, we are called to make on five, on nine consecutive first Fridays. So let's get to that work this weekend. I'd like to encourage you, if you enjoyed today's show, if it's something you want to share with someone else, we'll have that uploaded later this morning to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends, your family, your loved ones, anyone who you think might benefit. And check out some previous episodes of Roadmap to Heaven, some of the interviews we've conducted in the past. You can also find all of those at ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R, catholicradio.org. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons and protector of families, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It has been great to be with you. Another hour has flown by here on Roadmap to Heaven. I'll be back with you tomorrow. We're going to dive into some JP2 this week, and uh, Father David Skillman's going to be here to help us out with that. Get ready. We're going to be... Uh, we're going to be going to JP2 for the foreseeable future here on the show. In the meantime, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today. <laughs>